person who clearly knows what she wants. Her faith is enormous. And I'm very proud of that. And uh, I, I could tell you lots of silly stories about it, but the thing that, oh, is, and it's generational, is that um, birthdays with Helen, she starts talking about her birthday from the day it finishes to the next time it comes round. <laughs> and she, and she remi reminds her children now that um, what I used to say to her was, if you talk about your birthday once more, it's not going to happen. Um, <laughs> so I'm sure I can think of something more embarrassing, but I won't. <laughs> Want me some, something embarrassing? Thanks, Mark. This, this was something um, I know I said at the wedding, um, just to let Christian be aware, but I know Helen, when she was a student, she was in London, and she borrowed or loaned um, her granddad's car, which was an old car, and he'd passed through the family. And she rang me one day and said there was something wrong with it. It, it um, wasn't working properly. Uh, and she said it was, as it was going around, it was quite bumpy and, and it you know, just wasn't running properly. So I said, oh, have you got a flat tire? She said, oh, I'll have a look. And she had a look and she said, no, it's fine. It's just flat at the bottom. So I, <laughs> and I realized we've got two more days to spend with her yet. So <laughs> but yeah, no, otherwise, I mean, what can I say? I, I love her and she's brilliant and, and her faith and love for God is just fantastic, so, thank you. Well, we can echo that. Christian and Helen are elders here at the church, and uh, they are a huge blessing to us and the family, our personal family, but the Glenridge Church family as well. So, Helen, we are all ears. We're opening our hearts and our minds. Let's just pray. God, we thank you that you've given a word to Helen this morning. But, Lord, it works two ways here. Helen is prepared and is ready to deliver it. But, Lord, we want to be ready to receive it. So we open our hearts and our minds. Lord, speak to us. We will be obedient and we will be changed by you. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Drew. Thank you, Mom and Dad. Um, the upside of the tire story is that I do know how to change a tire now. So there's never, never criticism, always learning opportunities. Good morning and Happy New Year. Um, I am speaking this morning on, so we are continuing our Hebrews 11 series on faith, um, as you can see behind me. And when I was reading through Hebrews 11 at the back end of last year um, and looking at where I kind of felt God was drawing my attention to, I read through the whole of, I was reading through the, uh, Hebrews 11 and I got to one particular verse and I just couldn't read any further. I have since. But at that, at that point, it literally was like there was like a roadblock that was put in front of me as I was reading. Um, and it's funny how things work out because um, this is, my parents are here. This is the first time they actually have heard me um, preach, I think, correct me if I'm wrong. Okay, yes, they've listened to the recordings, but in person. Um, and so isn't it funny how God is in all of the details and how he weaves um, all of these lovely little special nuances into it? Because the verse that I am speaking on from Hebrews 11 is verse 23. Um, and it is on the parents of Moses. And as I read through this verse, I literally, I, like I said, I just, 
I, I stopped. I couldn't go any further. There was something so beautiful and astounding and remarkable and significant about this one verse. And I just knew that's the verse. That's the verse that I've got to preach on. And um, in leading up to this, I thought, oh my goodness, it's just one verse. What am I going to say about one verse? Um, and actually, God has really unpacked some things for me that I want to share with you this morning. And so the message that I'm going to be sharing is um, faith like the parents of Moses, or, and I'll explain this a little bit further um, in a second, be like the parents of Moses. And so um, the verse here, I'm going to read you the NIV translation, um, which says, by faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child and they were not afraid of the king's edict, decree, law. I was going to ignore that word because I wasn't sure how to pronounce it. Um, Emmy, and I'm sure Drew and Megan are giggling as well, you would say edict? edict. We're going to go with law. Okay. Edict is right, though, because I speak English English, like the Queen's English. So we're going to go with edict. Um, so this is the verse, one simple, straightforward verse that I'm going to be speaking about. And um, like I said, it's about be like the parents of Moses. Who here is familiar with the be like Bill memes that go around? The be like Bill memes, memes. Oh, man, it's going to be one of those days, isn't it, with the English language? Not a great way to start the new year. Be like Bill. Are you familiar? Here we have an example, Jonas. Thank you. If we can, it'll come up just now. There we go. Familiar? This is Bill. Bill wakes up and sees it snowing outside. Bill doesn't feel the urge to post a status about it on Facebook because he knows his friends also have windows. Bill is smart. Be like Bill. So this morning, we are going to be smart, and we are going to be like the parents of Moses. And I'm going to talk through three specific things that we learn from the parents of Moses. But before I do that, I have such a burden in my heart for what this morning needs to mean for us as individuals. I don't want this morning to just be a message that we hear and we go, that was good, I feel encouraged, I feel a little bit inspired maybe, brilliant. I really, my heart's desire is that there would be something in this morning that changes the rest of your year. And I say that timidly, um, and I say it knowing it's so twee um, and cliche that it is the first preach of the new year and so on and so forth and New Year's resolutions. But our word as an eldership team, when we were talking this through at the back end of last year, was faith. We are in such faith for what 2020 holds for us as a community. And Christian and I have been speaking about some really uncomfortable things that are happening for us in our job scenarios and finances and what that looks like in 2020. And we were on the beach earlier this week and we were just talking about it. And I said to Christian, I said, everything in my heart is super excited about the potential of what this is gonna look like. And everything in my head is going, whoa, just a minute. No, because that is too unknown and that is too scary and let, let's just put a plan in place 
first. Let's get our ducks in a row, so to speak, and then we'll step out in faith. I want to tell you this morning, that's not faith. That's a plan. It's a strategy. There is zero faith in that. And a few weeks ago when Stan opened this series, he said, how much faith do you need? And he said, enough faith to be obedient. That is what we need in 2020. This doesn't need to be big. It needs to be a simple, yes, Lord. I love you. I trust you. I know your plans and your purposes for me are good. So I say, yes. Am I scared? Yes. But am I going to do it? Yes. My heart this morning is that each one of us would step out of here knowing that we're going to say yes that this is gonna be a moment, and at the end of the year, we're gonna look back at this moment, and we're gonna say, that was the moment I said yes to God, and look at all that he has done. There's a thing that goes around on social media, it's about a jar, and every week you take an empty jar, and every week you're supposed to write something down that you're thankful for that happened that week, put it in the jar, and at the end of the year, on I guess the day before New Year's, whenever, you open the jar and you read through all of these things that have happened every week um, that you are thankful for and things that have happened. I want to encourage you, start a faith jar. Each week, write down something, or in your journal, something about what God has done in your life that week where you've been obedient. And you know what? Sometimes it might not even be the greatest story. Sometimes they might be, this was the worst week ever. This happened and I have no clue how I'm going to recover. Put it in there, because you're going to look back at it and you're going to see how far God has walked you. So, I'm going to take us back to Exodus 1 to set the scene. Because in order for us to understand the great faith of the parent of Moses, we need to understand a little bit about their context. And I don't know about you, but often I read the Bible and I miss a huge, huge amount of it because I don't understand the context. I read it through my lens as a 21st century person. And so then some of the stuff just goes straight over my head. So I want to take us back just briefly lay a little bit of groundwork and then explore what we learn from that. So, Exodus 1. I'm going to start at verse um, 8. So then a new king to whom Joseph meant nothing came to power in Egypt. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become far too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them, or they will become even more numerous. And if war breaks out, we'll join our enemies, fight against us, and leave the country. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor. And they built Pithom and Ramesses as store cities for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites, and they worked them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter with harsh labor in brick and mortar and with all kinds of work in the fields. In all their harsh labor, the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, whose names were Shipra and Pua, when you are helping the Hebrew women during childbirth on the delivery stall, If you see that the baby is a boy, kill him. But if it is a girl, let her live. 
The midwives, however, feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. They let the boys live. Then the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this? Why have you let the boys live? The midwives answered Pharaoh, Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women. They are vigorous and they give birth before the midwives arrive. So God was kind to the midwives and the people increased and became even more numerous. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families of their own. Then Pharaoh gave this order to all his people. Every Hebrew boy that is born, you must throw into the Nile, but let every girl live. So, this is a time where I think it's safe to say it's pretty bad to be an Israelite. And it's pretty bad to be um, a, an Israelite person, to be living in Egypt. It is not an easy time to be alive. They are being persecuted. And actually, there is a genocide that is happening of all of the boys, all of the baby boys, and all of the boys being killed. And so we need to picture this as we go into, into reading about uh, the parents of Moses. But I also want to add in an additional little bit of context outside of that exodus, because we are about to speak about the parents of Moses. So it kind of means that we need to understand a little bit of the context of what it looks like when you parent or when you become a new mom or dad. So I'm going to share with you two pieces of advice that my mum gave to me when I was pregnant with my oldest son, Reuben. So the first was, when you reach a particular stage, and it was a when, not an if, when you reach a particular stage in labor where the pain is so unbearable that you literally feel like, or believe actually, I cannot do this any longer. I actually am dying here. This is how painful it is. When you reach that stage, you're almost there. You're almost, almost done. And I've had three children, and I can testify to the truth of that. It, you do. You reach that stage where you're like, this is what dying feels like. Sorry if you have never had a baby and were hoping to. Trust me, it gets so much better. All is forgotten. It's beautiful and wonderful and the magic of the circle of life and birth, okay? Trust me. I wish that I had been able to understand that better first time and second time round. It took me to third time round for those words to suddenly click in my head. And I remember being in labor with Esther and saying to Christian, I can't do this anymore. I actually, this is too painful. And then going, it means I'm almost done. I'm almost done. Come and pray with me now. I said, come and just speak, like pray in tongues over me. And so Esther came into the world with Christian and I praying in tongues. Um, that, was, that was the fruit. So now we know why she's so fiery. <laughs> so that was the first piece of advice. And the second piece of advice was on the days when you have a new baby and you literally are like, I can't do this. I actually can't do this. The baby will not stop crying. I am so tired and I am so dirty and I just, I can't do this. On those days, get up and go out. Get out of the house. And the problem with that piece of advice is that they're the days when you least feel 
like going out of the house. You haven't showered or bathed. Your baby won't stop crying. So the thought of going and sitting in a coffee shop with a screaming baby is like a no-go because you will just die of embarrassment. The thought of going and visiting a friend and your baby just crying and crying while you're trying to have a conversation is a no-go because it would just be too terrible. And so therefore everything in you wants to stay at home because home feels safe. But the reality is it actually makes it worse. And so on days when I would phone my mum and be like, mum, he won't stop crying. I don't know what to do. I've tried this and I've tried this and I've tried this. And she would say, have you been out for a walk? And I would say, no, because I'm not even dressed yet. And he's just pooped all the way through his clothes. And she would say, it doesn't matter. Just wrap him in a blanket, put a jersey on over your pajamas. No one will know and go for a walk around the block. And I would. And I would go for a walk around the block, and there was a little cafe near us that had takeaways, and they came to know my order. Um, as I walked in the door, they had these lovely little peppermint brownie, sort of peppermint tart type things, and I would go and get one of those, and then munch on it while I walked around while my baby fell asleep. There was something about getting out that made everything better. And the reason I share that with you is because you need to understand the faith of the parents of Moses. At the very time in their lives where they needed support the most, they were not able to ask for it. And what we know a little bit in my limited knowledge about Israelite community is that it was a community. The women did things together. They went and got water from the well together. They were in each other's homes and spaces raising each other's children together. It takes a village to raise a child. Israelite women were together and they were a tight, a tight community. And in the very moment where they needed that the most, they were not able to ask for it. They were not able to receive it for fear that your baby would cry out and the Egyptian guards would hear and that they would come and they would take your baby and that they would kill your baby. And who knows what they would do to the rest of the family. We have to understand this as we go into this, because otherwise it's like, well, yeah, duh, of course you're going to save your baby. Friends, we know that that's not true. We know that when people are in fearful situations, they don't always save their baby. I don't want to be on a downer here, but we've got to, be, we've got to understand the faith in this. We know the abortion statistics worldwide. The fear of raising a child is real. We know the orphan statistics. The fear of raising a child is real. And it's scary because there's no handbook. I wish there was a handbook, but there isn't, which is why we need community to help each other, to support each other. I love asking the Spooners for advice because look at their beautiful children who are sitting behind them and spread around. Yeah, it's all Beth, apparently. We need that. We need to learn from each other. So, how do we get to be like the parents of Moses? Well, the first thing is in that first line of that verse. They saw he was no ordinary child. Friends, we have got to start believing that we are not ordinary people. I want to explain something here to you. Pharaoh's words were, 
we've got to, this is from the message version, we've got to do something, let's devise a plan to contain them, lest if, if there's a war, they may join with our enemies, they may turn against us, they may leave us. There is a lot of ifs there. Why is that important? Because the Pharaoh was terrified of the potential of the Israelites, the potential threat of the Israelites. The Israelites had not threatened him. They'd not even threatened to threaten him. And yet he was beside himself, terrified of them. He actually was scared of the favor that they carried. He was scared of the fact that he couldn't control them. And actually, he was scared of his own, he, he actually was insecure. He was scared of the lack of his own power. And so what do we do when we feel insecure about ourselves? We put other people down. We're intimidated. And so we make little comments about people or we critique. And as Christians, we're brilliant at doing that, aren't we? Just giving like prayerful feedback. Or I'm just gonna tell you this about this person so you can pray for them. We put people down and it reveals something about our hearts. When I do that, and I do do that, I'm not going to pretend. I don't want you to think that I've got all my stuff together. I don't. I do that and I'm so sorry that I do that. And my 2020 vision and goal and faith is to believe that I am not an ordinary person. I am an extraordinary person. Because when I believe that, and when I can stand there knowing that that's true about me, I don't need to say anything bad about anybody else. Because your victory and your joy is yours, and I celebrate you. Because yours wasn't for me, it was mine is coming, mine is here, yours is there, brilliant. We are both fearfully and wonderfully made, and that is brilliant. But Pharaoh was threatened. And so he brought the Israelites down. And again, as I said this morning about the details of God, there was something that really stood out for me and it makes, it makes me giggle. It actually makes me giggle because I can just picture like God going, oh yeah, you, you underestimated that, didn't you? You don't know me at all with Pharaoh because what's incredibly ironic and beautiful for me is that on the one hand, Pharaoh entirely understands and is fearful of the favor over the Israelites. He sees that despite my best efforts to keep you down, you are increasing, you are growing. What is going on here? And he's scared of it. And then on the other hand, he totally, totally misses the favor of God. And he makes a law based on that. So his law is that all boy babies must be killed, but girl babies can live. He is looking at the Israelites through a human cultural lens, not through a kingdom of heaven lens. He has missed that each and every one of the Israelites was created in the image of God. He's missed it. So to him, the boys are a threat, 
the girls are not a threat. So he goes after the boys because he does not understand the nature of God and he does not understand that all of us are extraordinary. All of us. And I want to tell you right now, if you are sitting here and you're thinking, I am not. Helen, you don't know me and you don't know my story. You don't know how completely ordinary I am. I'm telling you right now, that is a lie from the enemy to rob you of your potential. You are extraordinary. You are an image bearer of God. You are extraordinary. And so what happens when Pharaoh underestimates God's people? He kills the boys or tries to and that fails. He lets the girls live. But what happens is it was in fact five women, five girls, who were the ones who disobeyed him. So the very people he was unintimidated by, who he thought were beneath his power, are the very ones that bring about his downfall. So we know that it is Moses' mother who disobeys him by giving birth and saving her child. It is the midwives, Pua and Shipra, who disobey him and let the child live. It is Miriam who takes him down to the water and watches over him to make sure that he is safe. And then it is Pharaoh's own daughter who takes in this baby who's gonna bring about the Pharaoh's downfall. Jesus, I mean, God, you are just so good. You are so good in your details. We are all extraordinary. And I don't say that with any pride in my heart. I really don't. Anybody who knows me knows that I struggle so much with identity issues and insecurities like everybody does. I say that with no pride in my heart. But I say it because I know the word of God and I know my father. And he says that I am beautiful. He says that I am no ordinary child. And he says that there is potential within me and that there are plans laid before me and purposes that are only for me. And he says the same about you. 2020, this new year, I want you to ask God, what are your plans for me? For me. You have a role in God's story that only you can play. And if you don't play it, we all lose out because I can't do it for you. I am not made in the same way as Lex. I am not made in the same way as Emmy. I am not made in the same way as any of you because I have a role to play that is knitted beautifully alongside Megan's, but it's not the same as Megan's. I cannot try and be Megan. She cannot try and be me. I have to do what God has placed inside of me and use the gifts and the strengths that he's placed inside of me. This year, so do you. You need to have faith like the parents of Moses to believe that you are no ordinary child. Okay, are you with me? Have I convinced you? There's still time. There's still time. Okay. The second thing that we are going to learn about how to be like the parents of Moses is in the having faith, choosing faith over a fear of man. 
It says in that first verse, if I can just find it on my sheet, by faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child and they were not afraid of the king's law. Do we think that Moses' parents weren't afraid? I don't. How can you be living in a situation where you are being persecuted day and night, where your own children could be taken from your hands and killed? How can you not be afraid? That's real. We know that our bodies have a physiological effect when we are confronted with something that is scary or fearful. It's the fight, flight, or freeze effect. We know that our bodies are wired to do that. It's good because it protects us from danger. If someone's gonna attack me, I'm gonna run because my body knows that's what I do. So I don't think that they weren't afraid. Christian, when he shared his word earlier and, you know, like stole half of my preach, you know, just saying, he said the, la- the opposite of fear, everyone says it's courage. It actually isn't because courage will only take you so far. The opposite of fear is faith. So we were at the skate park last week uh, where we were walking on the beachfront. The kids wanted to go in the skate park. There is Esther on her scooter that has lost one of its little uh, whatevers and so therefore is really wobbly. And there she goes on the big ramps like her 10-year-old and 8-year-old brother, totally, totally fearless. And Christian turned to me and he was like, so Christian's there giggling and sort of laughing because he's like super proud of her. And I am like watching like this, wincing every time she heads down one of the big dips. And he says to me, sure, she's just fearless. And I'd literally just been reading these verses that morning and I said, actually, she isn't fearless. What it is, is that she just has faith that she can do it. She doesn't think she can't. It's as simple as that. The parents of Moses were afraid. It's just that their faith in God outweighed it. Their faith in God was so much bigger than their fear. And their willingness and their faith to just say yes to him was so much bigger than the very real fear that they must have felt. Bill Johnson says, our faith can only go as far as our awareness of God's goodness. Fear of man is a debilitating, robbing thing. It will deny you of your birthright. It will deny you of your inheritance if we allow it to. When I choose to believe that your words are, carry greater weight than the words of God, I'm gonna lose. I'm going to miss out on the promises that God has spoken for me. I wanna ask you this morning, how big is your faith and how good is your God? I loved, Justin, that we sang that song this morning, the goodness of God. And the goodness of God is running after you. You cannot run faster than the goodness of God. But do you believe that? 2020 is going to have big hiccups or mountains or hurdles or whatever you want to call them for you. It is going to. There's no if about that. It is going to because that is the nature of the world that we are living in. But how is the goodness of God in those moments for you? 
Is your God good enough that he's going to provide for all of your needs? So that when you get the job that's going to make you compromise some of your values, you can say, no, you know what? God, God's got me. Is that going to be easy? No. Is it going to be scary? Yes. But how good is your God and how big is your faith in his goodness? Is he good enough that you can trust your children's future to him? This is something that weighed heavily on me. Is he good enough that when you hear critique about how your child isn't keeping up, about how ah, we've noticed this about them and it's not really working and you know we think that you ought to explore this option or this option or this option, and I say that having walked that road, that you're able to say the goodness of God is that my child is fearfully and wonderfully made. Does it mean it's easy? No. But does it mean that he loves my child far more than I do? Yes. Are we willing to contend for our children in 2020? And is your God good enough that you can declare healing over people this year? Is your God good enough that you can declare your hearts, dreams, your hopes, and your visions for this year, knowing that whether they do come to fruition now or not, God is still good all the time. Be, we need to be like the parents of Moses who have faith that trust that God is in our scariest, our most unknown, our most uncertain moments. And we need to be willing to trust him with all things. And then finally, we need to be like the parents of Moses and we need to live for legacy. We need to know that he knows us by name. So as I read through Hebrews 11, there's a lot of familiar familiar names in there. So I read about Abel, who is in there because he gave a better offering than his brother. There's Noah in there who built the ark. And then there's Joseph who's in there because he prophesied about the Exodus. And then he spoke about how his bones should be buried. I've given birth three times. And I can tell you with a lot of certainty, it is way harder and way more painful than building an ark or giving a better offering or talking about where my bones are going to be buried. Okay? I'm just going to put it out there. And yet, they don't even get named by name. Now, please, don't, as Ryan Matthews used to say, don't hear what I'm not saying. I am in no way, shape, or form undermining those people who I've just mentioned. But what I want to highlight is the fact that they didn't get mentioned by name. They were referred to as the parents of Moses. To honor them, their names are Amran and Jochebed, and their names only get revealed further along in Leviticus. And there is a whole different, very interesting story of redemption about why potentially their names weren't mentioned here in Exodus. So in Exodus 2, where it says the birth of Moses, it just says, now a man of the tribe of Levi married a Levite woman, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. That's it. That's all it says about them until later. But that's a whole different preach, and you can go do your own research if you like, but it's very interesting as to why they weren't named there. And it is an example of how God uses, again, a, a situation that really shouldn't bring him glory, but he uses it, and he redeems it, and he uses it to bring glory. But my point is, if I'm honest, 
When I've done something good, I like to get acknowledgement for it. My husband will tell you, I will make dinner, and if I don't get smiling faces when I put it on the table, then no one's eating. <laughs> we do. We were made for purpose. So we like to know that we've done a good job. We do. Okay, and if you don't, then please come and pray with me afterwards because I really need some of that. Tim Keller in his book, The Art of Forgetfulness, says that being humble is not thinking less of yourself. It is thinking of yourself less. I can stand here and I can do something knowing that I'm extraordinary and that's great, but I don't necessarily need everybody else to tell me how extraordinary I am as well. And the problem is that if I do something and people don't give me a pat on the back afterwards and tell me how awesome I am, and if I go home and I'm irritated and I'm annoyed with you, there's a problem in what I did and why I did it. What it does is it reveals something about the nature of my heart. It reveals that I was actually doing it for my own significance. I was doing it to be seen. That is, for me, the beautiful difference about the parents of Moses. They were not named. Their names were intentionally left out. And yet, they still created such legacy. Giving life to Moses and hiding him was not about them. They saw something extraordinary in him, and they knew they needed to steward it. They needed to guard it and to hide him so that God could move through him. They probably had no clue what that was going to look like. They probably didn't know all the details, but they knew enough to say yes. If we are going to be like the parents of Moses this year, we need to be willing to surrender our own names, our own gains, in order to fulfill the purposes of heaven. We are going to do things this year as a church and people aren't gonna know it was us. We're gonna be okay with that because it's not for my glory, it's not for this house's glory, it's for his glory. Colossians 3 tells us that in everything we must work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. And it says, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart. How is your heart going into this year? Are you living for your own significance Look at me, look at what I did. Look, I prayed for this person and they received healing. Glory to God, but I prayed for them. My faith was so big that I prayed for them. Did I mention that I prayed for them? I and mean, they got healed by God, but I mean, I prayed for them. I'm joking with you, but we know that we do it. We wanna live for legacy, where we make a mark on future generations where we build something for future generations so that they go into their race knowing that they are a, they've got a head start because we have worked not for our own glory but for the kingdom of heaven to be known here on earth. 
That is what 2020 needs to look, for, look like for us. Legacy, not significance. So, I said at the beginning that I was in faith, that my heart is that there will be something in this message that you can respond to and say, yes. Yes, Lord, I can be obedient to that. And that you will know that every single one of us in this room has plans and purposes for this year. If you have come here this morning and you dragged yourself into another new year, I want to tell you, leave that behind you. It has only just begun. Faith, like the parents of Moses, looks like believing that you are extraordinary. It looks like choosing faith over fear of men. And it looks like living for legacy, knowing that you are known by name, by the King of Kings. So, I want to pray for us. First thing I just want to say is, if you are a parent here this morning to small children, I have not been able to shake this since I started preparing. If you are a parent here of small children, of children who are still at home with you, I would love you just to stand, please, if you are willing to do that. If you are a parent of children who are still at home. Okay. Parents, you are seen. It is a huge mantle that you carry, and sometimes it feels lonely, sometimes it feels overwhelming, sometimes it feels like you're failing, and it feels thankless at times but as I was preparing for this morning I felt so strongly in my heart that God wants you to know that he sees you that he knows you by name that your children were given as a gift to you you are the chosen parents of your children and whether that was through birth or through adoption or through some other curveball that meant that you are now raising children. He sees you. He has entrusted them to you. And I want to commission you, if you are willing, to stand in faith for the generation that we, I include myself in this, the generation that we are raising. It is our job to contend for the extraordinary in our children. Do you look at your children and see that they are beautiful? Do you look at your children and see that they are extraordinary and that they should be hid in order for you to steward the gifts that are in them? Some of you know 
My background is in teaching. And so I know that the education model is awesome for certain children. And for other children, it's quite hard work. And I believe that there are some parents here this morning who you have been made to feel that your children are failing because you've been told so by teachers or by doctors. I want to tell you that your child is fearfully and wonderfully made, that your child is extraordinary. And I want to commission you to contend for them, to have faith in the promises that God has spoken over your children. We need to contend, we need to fight for the next generation. The generation underneath us is crying out for authentic, real relationship with a father, and we need to lead them in that. I want to pray for you now, if, if you are up for that, if you are up for 2020 being the year where you are going to contend for your children, I want to pray for you now. And if you are sitting around these people, please could you just reach out your hands or go and lay hands on them, please? Because we want to be like the Israelites who we raise our children in community. I need you. I can't raise my children on my own. I need you. Father God, we thank you that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. We thank you that you have made each and every one of us in your image. I thank you, Lord, for these parents here this morning. I thank you, Father God, that you have gifted them with these children and that you chose that match. You chose that mom and that dad, and you chose those children to be partnered together. Father, I thank you that you know their circumstances. You know the perfect circumstances and you know the less than perfect circumstances that these parents are raising their children in. I thank you, Lord, that you are in all things, but I thank you, Father, even more than that, that you work through all things. I thank you, Lord, that you are bigger, that you are greater, that you are gooder than any of the limitations that we face. I thank you, Lord, that you have great plans and purposes for our children. And I pray, Father, would you equip us? Would you stir our faith? Would you increase our obedience to you in this year ahead, Father, as we fight for the next generation of young children? I pray, Lord, would you bless these parents? Would you pour out your favor over these parents? I pray, Holy Spirit, would you even now whisper words of encouragement and wisdom into their hearts so that they would know what the plans and purposes are for their children and that they would speak them over their children daily in this year? I pray that fear would be far outweighed by the goodness of you, Father God. Thank you, Lord.